Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who might stop by to ask for a cup of slab. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right. Welcome to show number 471 for May 20th, 2020. On today's show, we're talking about work holding, you know, clamps, workbenches, cr- crotchets. What do they call those things? <laughs> Sh- Shannon will tell us all about that. <laughs> We'll get there. Uh, But before we get to all that good stuff, we want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for 65 years. Head over to rockler.com and check out the spring stock up sale. The sale runs through May 28th, so don't miss it. And now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, the Patreon message by Matt. If you want to help support the show, <laughs> you can do so by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk and signing up to become a patron of the show. This week, we'd like to thank James Brophy, Judith Grass, Bradley Linseth, Aaron Cashin, and Ivor Sandy. Or just Sand. Yeah. Sunday. Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> All right. That's terrible. Sorry, I'm supposed Ivan. to be the one messing with people's names, not you. <laughs> You mess them up. Get out of my, get out of my segment. <laughs> I can't help it. I love doing that. Okay, let's get into our... Uh, we're going to go right into the main topic today. Uh, we wanted to talk about work holding. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do it, from hand tool stuff to power tool methods, different types of clamps, different little tricks that open up when you when you just have someone more experienced than you go, oh, all you need to do is put this here, and now you've got all the support you need. So, Shannon, I'm going to let you take us on this wonderful, wild journey into the world magical clamping mystery tour see yeah. i always love that in the pre-show marcus like i'm just gonna throw it to you and let you take it and then he does this like little lead-in thing and now i have nothing left to say because he basically yeah. just said it it's all, uh so. you know what the problem is i'm just professional and uh that's what i do yeah that's what we're gonna call it sure <laughs> go, go with that Okay. So <laughs> work holding, I come at this from a, um, an interesting perspective, it's certainly not unique, but having kind of started my woodworking career, entirely power tools, you know, growing up on Norm Abram and, and that's what you did. And then I made the transition entirely to hand tools and I do things very, very differently, but I still find there's kind of holdovers, little vestiges of the, of the power tool world that sneak in from time to time. And I have seen almost like... I don't want to say an evolution because that makes it sound like what I'm doing is better than it was before. I have evolved <laughs> um, to using a lot less clamps and a lot more just kind of passive stop um, rather than like holding something in place. I'm just butting it up against something else. And that's very, I think, a very different way from a hand tool perspective than power tools. So, you know, there's any number of ways from super, super high tech. I've got customers that have, you know, vacuum tables that are like the size of a football field practically. And, you know, you can, Mm -hmm. you know, you want to hold that Mack truck in place. Sure. Flip this switch and everything's like sucked down onto the floor. Very, very cool stuff. CNC clamping mechanisms that, you know, uh, multi triple axis CNCs that have to clamp and resist forces along three axes. Very, very cool. Yet stay entirely out of the way. Those are usually vacuum clamping systems. And then we've just got like the clamp thrown over the tabletop, you know, the C clamp or the little quick clamp that holds something in place. But the things that you always have to think about is what, what, um, what am I doing? Like, will the clamp be in the way? And how many times have you guys like clamp something down and you, you get out the router and you know, everything looks fine. And then you get like halfway through and you realize, oh, 
that clamp needed to be like one inch further to the right in order to, to allow the router to move or even Far worse. Far too often. Yeah, like nine out of 10 <laughs> times. Or even worse, the power cable gets stuck on the clamp post that's sticking up in the air. Every time. Yeah, 100%. Exactly. <laughs> What's kind of your go-to solution for work holding? What's the thing you Double use more than tape. anything else? Double stick tape. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's viable. Uh, that's a, I use that one that, myself. Yeah, it definitely does come in handy. Um, trying to think. I would say hold fasts. Nice. The most common thing. I need to get something down, held down on the workbench. I'll use it for like a planing operation or if I'm just, I don't know, maybe routing into a surface if it's wide enough to accommodate the hold fast on one side and still room for the router on it. Um, they're so easy and fast to use. Smack them with a hammer one way, drop them in and then pop them out. Um, I would have to say the holdfast is and also something that I never owned prior to building the Rubo. Yeah. But once I got that, it was a game changer for me. Nice. What holdfast do you use? The Gramercy ones. Good to hear. And I've got those little, it w- another game changer for me because holdfast, you know, being made out of metal and hitting them hard, they could very easily dent the work. Uh, when Matt sent me that little um, leather condom that goes <laughs> onto the end of the holdfast. <laughs> I had been using using that for years and I'm trying to get some made up with with my logo on them because I thought it was such a great idea. I'd like to to sell some of these things. Um, And now I've got two of my own on there. And those are awesome because usually you got to find that scrap of wood or or something just, uh, you know, to to prevent denting the material. If you have that little leather thing on there, you don't have to worry about it. It grips just fine. It doesn't dent the wood. Um, So that in combination with a holdfast and just a little mallet that lives at the bench is probably the most common work holding method I use in the shop. Oh, it's kind of interesting. I started with the smack them hold fast because, you know, mm-hmm. it's like cool and stuff, but I don't really use those anymore. I use the I got the Veritas phone with a little twisty knob because, yeah. you know, it's 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 a tool free clamp, essentially. Now, here's the thing. I have two of those. And I hardly ever use them. And, and, and sometimes I look at them and I go, why am I not using this more? <laughs> and then I realize that actually, to me, it takes more effort to twist that little brass knob on the top than it does to simply take one hit with a mallet. <laughs> and uh, I, I f- Maybe I need to get a bigger mallet. I got to learn I'm how to swing you, a mallet. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I'm the same way. Where I like the little Veritas twisty thing is like if I have to precisely place something, Cause there's always the chance that like when you whack the hold fast with a mallet, it may shift the workpiece slightly uh, mm-hmm. on the bench. So like if I'm using a hold fast to hold say a fence down that I'm going to run a plane against, I will yeah. use the Veritas twisty deal. Um, I've also found, and I probably need to maybe wax it or something. I've just found that it's gotten harder and harder to actually untwist it once it's firmly in place. I mean, okay. this thing is, is huh. probably 10 years old. Uh, maybe I'm just, I'm just getting older. Just That's what it is. My arthritis is acting up. So <laughs> it's, it's harder to, to release it. I've got to twist it more, uh, require more force to untwist it, I guess. Well, also the post on those is like serrated oh, and, yeah. and very rough. <laughs> it actually, if your three quarter inch holes are a little bit snug, it can kind of be a pain in the butt to get that in and out. I have used that. Well, if I had just a just run that hole fast in and out a few times, we'll be snug anymore. That's what I was going to say. I've had holes that were like a little bit snug and I was using that like a file. It's a ream <laughs> right <tail> file. <laughs> yeah. I got to ream this hole real quick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that is it. The, whatever material that's made of, they want to make sure that thing is not going to slip, even if your hole isn't perfect, you know? Well, that's Veritas making everything like that much better because they have to. Yeah. It's Veritas. 
Well, I got to tell you, well, I'm gonna, I'm, I really, uh-oh, uh-oh, <laughs> what was that? I have in my hand a Veritas, um, what do they call this? The clip or quick clamp hold fast. It's got the little toggle thing on top. So it looks oh, like yeah, a normal yeah. hold like fast, a duck. but it's it looks a like a duck. duck. Yeah. Little bill thing? Duck, yeah. Duck got clamp. the little flippy lever on top. That thing doesn't hold crap. It is terrible. <laughs> Really? Um, not only is it not a one hand operation, sometimes you need three. Like you've got to, you've got to actually press it firmly down on the work while you rotate the little hold thing down. And then if you have any kind of shock, you know, to the bench itself, you know, if you knock the bench or you're chopping a mortise, God forbid, um, yeah. and it sends vibration through the bench and we're talking, you know, I've got a Rubo, like a lot of folks now, you know, it, there's not a lot of vibration in a 500 pound bench, but the thing comes loose all the time, all the time. It's got a leather pad on it. So, you know, it's not like it's the hard metal to a, like a hard maple surface or whatever. It's so there's a little bit of shock absorption in there, but it just does not hold at all. Terrible. Wow. Terrible bit of tool. That's interesting. Well, good to know. I saw that the other day I was looking when I was doing stuff with the workbench. I'm like, it's sometimes fun just to see, did has Lee Valley come up with anything new in this category? (laughs) Like something that I didn't know I needed. And now I absolutely can't live without it. And, uh, and I saw that one and I was like, oh, I'm tempted, but I'm like, I don't even use the other fancy ones that I have. So why would I even bother with this quick release <laughs> and, version? And you know? I think, I think it's because of that post the same way that the, the twisty one is a snug fit in a three quarter inch hole. This is also yeah. a snug fit. And the hold fast relies upon that camming action. You want the, oh, the, sure. the shaft yeah. of the hold fast to be slightly smaller than the hole itself. Or if not, you've like reamed the underside of the, the dog hole to allow mm-hmm. that camming action. So the, the twist hold fast, I mean, it's using a, a screw to, to tighten it down and to create the cam action between the, the clamping arm and the post. This uh, flip stop one, whatever, is using relying upon the same thing that a you know, Wacom hold fast does. And there's just not enough play in the shaft. It was, I don't know. Uh, I, I, maybe I'm too rough. Right. <laughs> I'm planing or maybe it's just not ironically, it's a hold fast, not designed for hand tool work, which would be really, that would be weird. Yeah. I so, think you're just, uh, you're too rough with your shaft. That's what it is. I guess so. Yep. Uh, Show title right there. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching cause there's a, uh, uh, I think we have a kickback, um, voicemail later on about an outdoor workbench thing. And it got me looking up the Roman workbench and mm-hmm. there's an episode of the new, no, not you, ugh, you know what I'm talking about, Roy Underhill and Chris Schwarz is on it and are talking about this bench. And he brings up this picture that might be like the oldest, oldest image of a workbench ever created. And it has like people working on this little tiny workbench. They look like elves. It looks like a Christmas scene. It's weird. Um, but it's interesting because this like very early rudimentary sort of workbench still has this, and it looks like a candy cane in this picture, uh, but it's got a hold fast depicted in this picture, which is kind of neat. Cause even, you know, it's just such an old classic method of using, you know, just the, the friction and physics to hold a, a piece in place, but yeah. still in 2020, a very viable way to, to hold things to a workbench. No, I mean, to, to answer, I guess, my own question, like you, Mark, that's probably my go-to for holding anything down. I've got, what, six of them floating around the bench, um, mm-hmm. and I'm constantly using them as things. They hold the, the board down to, for, for some planing. They hold fences in place as I'm working against the plane, 
I hold stuff to the edge of my bench. Um, the bench that I have up in Maine has no vices on it. So it's relying entirely upon hold fasts and pegs to do edge planing work and everything like that. Works really well. Matt, what about like the industrial clamping? Um, you've got some funky stuff on your mill, don't you? Uh, not really. Um, I've got gravity. I have um, the log clamps that I have on there. They're, they kind of work like hold fast because they cam over and they lock onto uh, a piece of pipe. Uh, so it's super low tech that way. But I found like the more I've actually used the mill and got comfortable with actually sawing on it, don't really clamp things very often because you have the advantage there where the, your workpiece actually weighs so much <laughs> that what you're doing to it is not enough force to move it. What, the, the sawing force is not enough to move it. Right. So very rarely does anything on my mill actually clamped anymore. Interesting. Hmm. So I suppose if it starts to move it, that's time to change the blade, right? Change the blade or they put... Well, the thing is too, like when I'm sawing the uh, slabs, one of the reasons why I keep the slabs in place while I'm sawing and don't take them off is to keep the weight high so it doesn't have a tendency to move. Ah, uh, fancy. So... Couldn't you just it's put one of your kids on top of the slab and just have them, like, as the blade comes, just step just over? Just on top. Oh, man, that would, people <laughs> love that one. <laughs> that, that would go over well. I've done, I've done that, like, with, like, a coffee mug or, like, a tape measure. Never, like, a living thing. Yeah, never, never <laughs> a child. Was there coffee in the mug while it was going? <clears throat> Does yeah. it create kind of like a frappe with a vibration? There's not you... much vibration there either. Oh. It's, like, it's pretty much just nothing's going on so one thing that's been eye-opening to me with work holding is when you start to see some of the older we're talking about you know um uh hoochie what do you call it hold fast jeez uh hoochie that, that's I like those hoochie hoochie, hoochie, hoochie woochies uh so that's a very old technique but there's also other types of old techniques and, and one it's kind of a combination of old and new because woodpeckers is making it um they've got a 2096 work holding kit is what it is called. I got this email recently and it just reminded me of how sometimes with just using things of a different shape and using, you know, force in the right way without having any clamps, nothing to screw down. It's just holding things in place. So go check this out. If you want to see it, this is one of those old wedge systems where you could hold a board with, uh, you know, you could do this with shop made stuff. You don't need to buy this thing. Um, but this one is meant to integrate with like the Festool MFT. And it's a great way to hold a board securely. They're using it for like a domino operation, but it's kind of neat. And if you look at how how long it can take to screw a clamp down and then unscrew it, and you're, you're doing this for multiple parts, uh, this is something that can be a real time saver because all you have to do is push it forward. It holds it in place, pull it back, it lets it go. And then you put your next workpiece down. So I'm always amazed when I see a lot of these old school methods and how a lot of times we kind of forget about them because we've got clamps sitting there. So why not just clamp it down? Um, but there's some old common sense friction, cool way to hold these things in place. And that's, that's one that I think is really interesting. I don't know if I would ever use it. I'm certainly not going to spend 270 bucks on a work holding kit, but I, I do think it's interesting. I don't know, Mark. <laughs> Look, I like to waste. I do like to waste money on things, but that's not one of them. <laughs> See, and I, I always thought, known. I always thought the question you asked yourself is, could I get one of these for free? 
So the big green egg <laughs> question. Hold on. Now, since you put it that way, <laughs> I could send off a couple of emails <laughs> and uh, I may be doing an ad for one of these things. Uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Then you got yeah, to do an ad. Well, what I, what I think is interesting, and this is what I was talking about earlier about my own evolution into things. And with the, the hand tool side of stuff, rarely am I like clamping a piece down because I often am picking up the piece and examining it when you're doing, um, I just say flattening a board, you know? So Mm -hmm. say you're flattening a slab and you're using a router sled or whatever, you want to hold that sucker in place so it does not move and and the sled is moving over top of it with a hand plane. As an aside, that's another case where like gravity can work pretty well for you too. If you're flattening a big enough slab, it ain't going to be moving. It's true. The slab is heavy enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, sorry. Continue. No, no, no. That's, that's good. In, in, in my case, when I'm using a hand plane, I find the biggest problem people have is they just plane too much. So I'm constantly picking up the board. I'm constantly holding a straight edge to it. I'm constantly checking my layout lines, all that stuff. And every time I pick it up, if I have to, you know, unwhack a hold fast, is that a word? Unwhack? Sure. It, <laughs> to, it, to it release, is now. To release a hold fast or unscrew a clamp or something. It doesn't sound like much, but if you're doing it constantly, it becomes tedious to the point where then you don't do it. So then you think, okay, well, let me just keep planing and then I'll check it later. And then you find you went too far or you've screwed up the board or something like that. So now I use just a passive stop. I run the board up against the stop and I'm constantly, as I change the direction of force, I'm moving the board around or I'll use two stops. So if I'm milling a board flat, Oftentimes I'll be working along the grain, but every now and then I've got to work across the grain. So I'll run a batten along the backside of the board and run the board up against the stop at the end of the bench. And I've got two points of contact. So the board kind of nestles into like an inside corner and it's perfectly firm because the direction of force is always in the same ish direction. You know, I'm not turning around and planing against the grain. I could, but then the board would slide off the other end and I would also tear out the board at the same time. So more and more, I I found that actually restraining it, clamping a piece, there's, you know, you can apply a heck of a lot of clamping pressure, but even then the force of a hand plane, especially a heavily set hand plane or a heavily set joinery plane of some sort can produce a heck of a lot of force that can cause even the stoutest of holdfasts to let go, or it'll slip ever so slightly. It doesn't actually release, but it shifts a little bit on the bench. When you've got a passive stop, whether it be a dog or, you know, just a, a peg or, or an actual planing stop, it's so much more effective. And I'm picking it up, taking, taking a look at the board, putting it down and constantly examining my, my workpiece. Same way with hand sticking moldings. I have a sticking board that I do for that because I, I constantly have to look, where am I to my line? You know, this is a very precise, I'm cutting a ovalo or something like that. You have to see where you are in relation to your line and you can either, you know, bend over a whole lot and get down at eye level on the bench, or you can just pick the stick up and go from there. And that's like the oldest method ever. <laughs> Take the board, yeah. run it up against something immovable and work into <laughs> it. Um, and I, that actually, I would change my previous answer. That's probably the, my go-to method these days. Hold fast or stop kind of nice. And, and the stop is also a bench hook. You know, we use bench hooks a lot for sawing, but I have another hook with a lower fence that I call a pairing hook. And I do like pretty much all of my joinery on that thing. It's also a nice benefit of the fact that it's putting a a surface between my bench and my work. So people who are worried about dinging up their workbench, here's your sacrificial bench top. It's a bench hook. (laughs) It goes right on top. 
Um, I've got a, an edge planing stop that uses wedges that works really well. It's a, it's like a bird's mouth idea. You slide the board on edge in there and then two wedges go on either side of it and it holds it super firm, but to release it, all you do is just pull the board back because it's the opposite direction of the wedge works fantastic. I've seen that done vertically. I think that's what that Roman workbench uses a lot of. Like there's a notch on the side and like a a vertical wedge that you can stand Mm -hmm. a board up on in and knock the wedge in place. The, um, uh, the crochet, or as Mark says, the crotchet, the crotchet, the crotchet. <laughs> there's another yeah. wedging action while it doesn't do a great job of actually holding a board firmly. Like if you took a long board and shoved it in there, it's not going to really hold it off the ground. Gravity's going to win. You've got to put a peg underneath it to keep it from dropping, but it drives it up against the workbench really firmly. And again, it's just a wedge. It's fantastic stuff. But what I wonder is, is this just the hand tool guy in me speaking? I mean, could you guys see using something like that? Say you're routing something. I mean, I guess you use double stick tape for flush trim routing. I don't know. I'm cautious. I feel like I want to really lock something in place if I'm doing a power tool operation. Because if it comes loose in the middle, I'm going to tear things all to hell. Yeah, there are, there are definitely certain things with power tools that you don't want to take any chance. And sometimes just a friction hold on something may not be enough, you know, just because you're, you're so focused on running the tool, the, the work just can't move. There, can, there should be no chance of it moving at all. And sometimes friction holds, you know, a hold fast even doesn't always hold perfectly. Sometimes you got to hit it a second time, but you may not realize that until you're in the middle of a cut and with a power tool, that's a much more dangerous situation. You're in the middle and you notice something slipping. So yeah, something like a a crochet as cool as they were. And I remember reading about them in uh, Schwarz's workbench book and going, oh, that looks like a cool addition. I I, I might add something like that to a bench over time. I'm like, yeah, but... I don't think I'm going to use it that often, you know, like (laughs) as a quote unquote hybrid woodworker, I'm not often edge jointing or something like something that you would put a board in that orientation into that thing across the bench. It's just not something I do that often. Um, So, yeah. Well, and the obvious thing that we're not talking about is vices and I don't have a crochet either because I have a leg vice and sure. Why do I need a crochet? I've got a leg vice and that thing holds really, really well. Um, Interestingly enough, my invoice on my bench never gets used anymore uh, because I've, I've moved entirely to passive stops. The invoice was primarily used for holding things on the face and, and um, the dogs could be dropped below the surface so that the clamps themselves were never in the way of the work. And mm-hmm. I don't like using it all for that. So, I, so you don't I, use like a dog to back things up across the bench or anything like that? I'll use a dog just stuck in a dog hole, but not the vice itself. I'm not actually... Mm. I've got a row of dog I mean, like a, like a movable, a movable dog that's backing up the work. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got a row of dog holes in line with my invice when I originally installed yeah. it. And I use that row of dog holes all the time as passive stops, but I don't then come and clamp the board with the movable jaw of the vice. I just never use the thing anymore, which is really a well, shame that was one- because it's bench crafted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a nice vice. Um, that's one of the things that I was pretty eye opening for me when I started to learn what, like you were just talking about a lot of times with hand tool operations, you really just need to stop nothing else. Um, but I've got this tail vice there and sometimes, I mean, it does take a degree of, um, dexterity to, especially if you're just kind of pushing up against a single dog, uh, if you, and you're planing the face of a board to not have that board like rotate and move around. So 
typically I'm not really putting a lot of pressure on it. Certainly not as much as that vice is capable of, of putting onto the work. I just kind of will take a dog on the movable dog, back it up just a little bit. And it's only purpose is to prevent the board from skewing. I'm not pushing enough to warp the board or to change its, you know, flatness, uh, but just enough to stop it from moving around on me, like as a belt and suspenders kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that's the interesting part that I've discovered while I feel at face value, I would be more cautious with power tools. I actually find that the hand tools exert more force. Hand tools mm -hmm. actually test the clamping ability much more than any of the power tool work did. And I keep going back to routers, but you know, I mean, you actually don't need that much force to hold a board in place while you're routing an edge profile on it. Um, but we put right. a lot of force in there because we've got this high RPM spinning bit thing. More importantly is <laughs> keeping that router <laughs> stable. Um, I think I apply a heck of a lot more force along the board when I'm um, just sticking a molding, you know, with a rabbit plane or something like that. Mm -hmm. So do you guys have any um, tricks, favorite tricks for work holding? Anything that comes to mind? I, I've got one. Um, trying to think. So classic wood clamps, you know, the kind, right? The kind you grab with two hands and you flip it around and you look all goofy. Double screw it. thing. Yeah, that thing. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, bro. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't use those for anything else, but holding something vertically. So like a case side <laughs> or something like I'm doing an, an assembly and I yeah. want a piece of plywood to stand upright. A little yeah. riggers. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's for, will, right? That's why we I use it. <laughs> I'm sure there's other great ways to use it, but that's the only thing I use it for. And when I, I've gotten reactions from people, when they see that, they're going, oh, that's what that's for. <laughs> it's uh -huh. like, well, no, you could do other things I mean, with it. Uh, among other things. <laughs> but this is one of the only thing I use it for. And you, you just kind of clamp it toward the base. And if you need to, you could then, because they're big square pieces of wood, you can clamp the clamp itself to the right. workbench to make it even more yeah. stable. Yeah. Uh, I, and that, that's been something that's come in handy. That's the clamp that, that's the one clamp I clamp all the yeah, time. I right. clamp that clamp <laughs> constantly. <laughs> clamp the clamp. For that exact reason, you're standing something on edge and then you secure it to the bench by hold fasting the wooden clamp to the bench. It's right. great. Fantastic. In the past life, that's how I drilled uh, pen blanks. The drill press with one of those oh, things, yeah, like a, yeah. a pen blank drilling vice thing. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Did I you like cut those... a notch into it? No, like... I, I didn't get that fancy with it. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, man, don't don't, don't get carried away here. But <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> well, that's pretty awesome. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, hey, so do you guys know who else likes to grab onto things and hold them tight? Oh, so many answers. <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun writing these. It's it's Rockler, it Rockler, Rockler. They love holding on to things. I, I we saw the people uh, at Rockler. We saw them at uh, WorkbenchCon, and they held us tight while we were there. It was quite nice. No, no okay. comment. <laughs> we're not supposed to talk about it. Okay. So Rockler actually has a great selection of all kinds of work holding accessories. Uh, they've got vices for your workbench, including a heavy duty quick release front vice, which is on sale $60 off. We're going to put the link in the show notes for that one. Um, they've got all kinds of clamps, including parallel clamps, pipe clamps, bar clamps, F style clamps, quarter clamps, specialty clamps, and more. Lots of clamps are on sale in May, including the pipe clamps, F style clamps. And we just talked about these, the wooden hand screw clamps. And they also have a drawer front installation clamp that you might want to check out. 
They have bench cookie work grippers, high friction rubber pads to hold your work rock steady while sawing, sanding, or routing without the use of clamps. Plus, they include a threaded insert for adding a variety of accessories to elevate your work and provide plenty of clearance for all of your project needs. A four-pack of bench cookies is on sale for just $7.99 this month. Bench cookies are great. Pretty good deal, actually. Yeah, I mean, uh, I actually use those quite a bit. A lot of times we, you know, talk about holding things for routing. Well, sometimes you don't need to really put on like crazy amounts of downward pressure. What you need to do is stop it from slipping. Yeah. And a, a bench cookie does that in spades. It's got that. What is the material? Is it like a neoprene rubber? What, what is that schmutz on there? I don't know I don't what know. it is. I don't know materials. <clears throat> is it on, wood? Dude. I don't know. It's not wood. It's something that's not wood. <laughs> I could tell you that much. Solomonite. Yeah. So it grips to the workbench and then grips to the workpiece. So you balance your board on four of those. And now, like Shannon, you, if you need to pull this thing up and look at the progress, you can do that because it's not being clamped down. It's just held by friction. It's nice for like a track saw too. So you can cut all the way through when you're cutting into your bench. Get you a little bit of height. I never thought about that. You know, get, get, I usually get, use like foam boards, but that's a great idea. Yeah. There you go. Just throw Pretty. some of those on the ground and go to town. And one thing you don't want to do with bench cookies is... Uh, you're finishing a tabletop, put the finish that needs to cure on top of those rubber pads. <laughs> yeah. And when, uh, you, yeah. When, you, when you flip it over, that's not going to go over They're well. They're attached don't. now, so you can- <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. I've got a couple that are a little bit, uh, they're a little rough now because of that. <laughs> but it's it was a, just the table bottom. permanent so. drink coaster on your tabletop now. Yeah. Yeah, they don't fare so well. But I you remember- You can cut into them, though. They don't, get, they don't hurt your saw if you do hit them. They do oh, really? Look, they, they look pretty bad afterwards, but your yeah, saw yeah, is yeah. fine. That's they're good mostly, to know. They're mostly just plastic. I know so. they got the, well, what about the ones with the threaded insert in the middle though? Uh, that, that, okay. That maybe not that one. That might be a problem. <laughs> Don't That's cut that one. Surprise inside. <laughs> <laughs> Ting. Oops. Okay. Well, just go to rockler.com. You can find those products that we mentioned and many, many more. Remember they got that big sale going on right now uh, to the end of the month. So check them out over at rockler.com. Thank you for sponsoring the show, Rockler. Thank you. Thank you, Rockler. Go right. Rockler. So we decided pre-show that our voicemails actually sound like a boy band, right? If you put them all together. So here's, here's our list of voicemails today. Ready? Uh, we got Paul, Drew, Joey, and Dan. Welcome to, to the stage. They're going to sing to you and make you feel like a 14-year-old girl. I think the, uh, the like, homework should be to come up with the name of this boy band. Yeah, what is the, yeah, what is the woodworking boy band name? Ooh, that's I like a, that. That's a real good Real good challenge. <laughs> oh, good stuff. All right. So let's start here with uh, Paul's question about shooting boards. Hey, guys. This is Paul Engel here. I love the show. Uh, my question is around shooting boards. So I love the idea of getting dead on 90 and 45 degree angles. Um, I'm planning on building one soon. What I'm wondering is what tricks you use to ensure you don't end up with boards of various lengths, thus making the perfect angles basically of no value. Um, how do you guys employ a short shooting board and end up with the pairs of boards of equal lengths? Side question, how many thousandths of an inch can you be off in length before your angle is in jeopardy? Huh. Great Three. question, Paul. Three thousandths. Three? Three. I'll write that down. Good to know. <laughs> it's actually 3.21. It's, it's, it's a really good point. Right. Because one thing we know uh, coming from the power tool perspective, you make a frame, you better make sure that all of them are the same length. You've got the angle that's a factor, but also the length of each piece. So you take it over to a shooting board, give it a couple passes. Now it's not the same length as everything else. So what do you do? You count your passes. 
to make sure they're consistent? Yes, I do. Okay. I absolutely do. And I use epoxy. (laughs) (laughs) A good gap filling glue, everyone. I think the, the error in thinking here, if I can be so bold as to say error is the shooting board is not a like mass production tool. The shooting board is a refining tool. So to create pieces, what, what he, what he's wanting to do, say again, making a frame, how do you create everything the same size? Well, you do that on whatever other tools you're using. That's what stop blocks and miter gauges and all that stuff are for to create all the equal parts. You're cutting your miters using a stop block. So you're getting them all the same. And all you're doing with the shooting board is just dialing that in. You're not really removing an appreciable amount of stock. So the answer to the question, how many thousands can you remove? I have no idea. Um, Depends on the glue you use. Epoxy, a lot more thousands. But I, I see people spending way too much time on a shooting board. And on the hand tool world, that's because the saw cut was done, you know, inaccurately in the first place. And that's fine. You know, the shooting board is nice. You can, you can saw 43.17 degrees and true it up to 45 at, at the shooting board. If you know that your, say, say the coarser method, the actual, the, the cutting the miter part with the saw or whatever, you know, that is not going to be a precise action. Then you do need to leave a little bit more length in the board that you can dial it in at the shooting board. But it's not one of those things where you drop it on the shooting board and you plane it 20 times and then you go across the shop and you check it and you go, oh crap, I'm short. It's a one pass, two pass, check it. One pass, check it. One more pass, check it. You know, that's that's how you do it because you can't really use a stop on a shooting board because the board is slightly advancing with every pass. Otherwise, the plane's not cutting, right? You have to mm-hmm. push it into the board. But here's the other thing. If you're taking a heck of a lot of material off, shooting becomes a lot harder and it will dull your blade quite quickly. I mean, this is not a heavy shaving we're removing. We are talking thousands of an inch. So don't really think of the shooting board as a tool that sh- that cuts a miter. It's a tool that refines a miter. And that's a really key point, I think. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Good stuff. All right, before we go on to the... Um, oh, and by the way, next- Paul, I just did a whole video on Shooting Board 101 over the Renaissance Woodworker, and I said all that there too. So you can either go listen to me say that again in video form or just take what I said now and go on with your life. It's even better the second time. <laughs> Tell you that much. Uh, I got a couple names that I've come up with for uh, boy bands. Oh, God. Woodworking boy bands. Busy. I was working while uh, Shannon was talking. Okay. <laughs> We've got uh, New Sawyers on the Block uh, and Countersink. And apprentices to journeymen. Encounter you guys think about those and let me know which one you like. No, they're, they're so bad. <laughs> <laughs> they're no, it's, come so on, bad. it's on the fly. It's not like, I didn't have a lot of time. Let not me refine your best, these. Not your best work, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's find out uh, what Drew wants. Hey, guys. Um, my name is Drew. I'm from Silverdale, Washington. And I have a, a kind of a two-part question here. Um, I'm a really new woodworker with a very large family. So it seems like all my projects go to family. Um, I'm sure you guys have kind of run into that before. Um, One thing that I really really like to make that I get a lot of requests on is, uh, of course, cutting boards. But besides that, boxes, (laughs) all kinds of boxes, Ah, tea boxes, um, jewelry boxes, all kinds of things like that. And I'm lucky enough to have a a guy who cuts down lumber, just just like 
uh, similar to what Matt uses, not nearly as big, but um, the the mill. I think the guy is a lot bigger than Matt, but not the mill. Um, <laughs> and he has a lot of different wood that he has, and I like to buy all kinds of different stuff, whether it's plum or walnut, the maple, all kinds of different wood that this guy can saw. Um, so that brings me to... I really like using different kinds of wood to make the boxes. So what kind of wood do you guys recommend, or not recommend, but like the best? I'm sure that there's all kinds of, I haven't ever had a chance to work with like Babinga or Cocobolo or however you say it. Um, (laughs) And then the next thing is, Matt, when are you ever going to get a chance to run some kind of exotic tree or something through... Would it even be possible for you to get something like some uh, purple heart tree and run it through your mill just to see what it's like? Is that even a possibility? Um, anyway, uh, thanks for not quitting, guys, and keep it up. I really enjoy your guys' show. You guys have a lot of purple heart trees in Minnesota? <laughs> <laughs> Took my neighbor's purple heart tree down. Yeah, I went down to the paint shop and got one of the mixed matched colors and painted this tree, and now it's purple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know what? Boxes, I think it's a great project if you're going to experiment with different woods. It's really good because it's a pretty small project. You don't need a lot of material, and some of these, uh, you know, more exotic things are going to be more expensive. Uh, so if you've never tried Babinga, that's a great place to do it. Certainly. I always like places like Rockler. Um, and other stores like them who we won't name cause they don't sponsor us who they don't have, exist actually. So, you know, <laughs> quarter inch and half inch thick boards in store. So yeah. you can go buy that expensive zebra wood, but you're buying a half inch thick piece or a three eighths inch thick piece. That's how I got started in box making was buying those little pre-dimension boards on, on the rack and just don't do what I did and make all six sides of the box a different species. It's terrible. <sighs> Oh, that's a little hard on the eyes. Yeah, it was. It was. I was young. It's like like those tables that have four different style legs on them. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of hard to look at. (laughs) Cool. What what was the other question that he had about the regard? Well, he was talking about, do you ever get a chance to do, I guess, things outside of the domestic realm? I would defer to Shannon as far as the possibility of importing a log goes. As far as, I mean, everything's possible outside the legal umbrella. Yeah, I, guess, I was going to say, you know. except for that whole legal thing. Yeah, I think in most <laughs> instances, importing of logs, unless you are doing it for veneer purposes, is illegal. Not across the board, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's all dependent upon local regulations. But put it this way, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife and everything is going to pretty much try to hold it for as long as they can because most log import is illegal at this point. So then they mm-hmm. have to check and double check and cross check and you're going to end up spending a lot of money on it. It's not impossible. Well, Certainly, you know, like Hearn Hardwoods up the road for me, um, Cookwoods out on the West Coast, they're sawing uh, exotic logs and they can do it. But there's a bunch of kind of loopholes. Loopholes, not the right word for it, but, you know, down trees, felled trees that weren't cut down by axe and saw, but by Mother mm-hmm. Nature, that type of stuff is permissible. But the biggest issue is they're freaking heavy. Like, mm-hmm. you think your well, domestic yeah. logs are heavy. <laughs> They're full of moisture and you get all the waste with it too. Yeah. Versus buying, you know, pre-sawn lumber. Full of Ebola too. I mean, other <laughs> stuff. Yeesh. Oh. So uh, I guess I'll have to look into that a little more. I mean, I would like to do it. It'd be kind of fun, but well, yeah, we'll see. 
You could certainly run across some tropical species. I mean, take a road trip to Florida and get some mahogany. There's a lot of mahogany growing in Florida. I, I do get a little jealous of that too because I follow a lot of people on Instagram that are in Florida and they got all kinds of fun, crazy stuff down there. I'm like, oh, it's like urban logging down there. Yeah. It's like urban logging exotics. I'm like, yeah. oh, magnolia tree here. Oh, sure. Yeah, we got that <laughs> everywhere. I have one of those like outside my window. What are you talking about? <laughs> Dang all right, I got, I got two more names, guys. Nothing grows uh, here. Two more names. Are you ready? Backsaw Boys and Grain Direction. You guys are the worst. These I'm working hard. I'm working hard on this, and I don't feel like you guys appreciate it at all. I'm actually thinking that Mark is a closet Backstreet Boys fan because that's the second (laughs) Backstreet (laughs) illusion that we've had. Well, who isn't? No, my other actually the other one was Boys to Men. How about 98 degrees of Fleem? I like that. that now. That was good. See, I support you when you tell me stupid jokes. You guys don't do the same for me. All right, yeah, let's hear what... Uh, you let's don't hear need what... it. <laughs> I think I'm funny, so I guess that's all that matters. Exactly. Uh, let's hear from our boy Joey. Hey, Joey. Hey, guys. This is Joey calling from Minnesota. Uh, super happy to have you guys back. Love the podcast. Helps making commutes to and from work way easier. And also, Matt, just letting you know that I uh, just went down to the DMV and legally changed my name to have the question mark at the end. <laughs> um, just calling about a couple different things one shop flow and two climate control I know these are pretty broad topics I'm sure they've been covered before I went from a one car garage to a three car garage recently and I get the third stall for the shop now I can pull the cars out and most of my stuff is going to be on wheels or is already on wheels um, but in terms of setting up a shop, cause I can't necessarily have it where I have my lunchbox planner is dedicated to this bench surface, or I might have to move my bandsaw or joiner off of a wall and just connect it with a short little snub from the dust collection. Um, just curious how you guys, you know, what are the main tools, obviously like a table saw and maybe an outfeed slash assembly table, but what are some of the other permanent, make sure you have this set in its own place it's easier and then what's our, what are some of the tools that you don't mind having to you know move around or pick up and and uh like a lunchbox planer from uh from out from under something and setting it on top of a bench when you're doing some milling and then climate control kind of just talking about how like matt you know mentioned it when he was talking about his bench taking pictures of it minnesota is a, a finicky state you know it's 65 one day you open up the door and, you know, there's five inches of snow and, a, you know, a snowman giving you the middle finger the next day and it's 12 <laughs> degrees. So um, heated that's and insulated the garage this year, but more concerned about during the summer with humidity, uh, how that's going to potentially affect any type of wood that I bring in. If it's worth getting a couple of dehumidifiers, but I heard that those also raise the temperature um, and or could raise the temperature in shops if I do keep it pinned up. Um, but yeah, love what you guys do. Appreciate everything. Can't wait to hear more wood talk. Hmm. All right. The big question. I think Joey wins regardless, just because of the question mark comment. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, so let's, let's talk about the shop organization workflow thing first. Um, thankfully I haven't had to deal with this much. Most of the shops I've had have had enough room that most things are where they're going to be. Uh, only occasionally would I have to move something, but my instinct would be anything I use a lot or anything that is really, really heavy and not easily moved, <laughs> common sense tells you those are the, the kinds of things you want 
in a static position. Anything that's really heavy or anything that I have to use a lot that's just inconvenient to constantly take in and out, those are the things I really just want to make sure they are locked down and I don't have to worry about them. But again, I don't have to test myself with this too much because I've been super fortunate to have a little bit of extra room and, and dedicated space for things. For me, I and mean, there's a reason why none of my tools are like put away, take out style. Yeah. Because it's honestly, it's a pain in the butt. Like when I, I understand that everybody has the luxury of having space to leave all your stuff set up. But when I walk in the shop, like the last thing I want to do is set it up. Like mm-hmm. I want to actually like do stuff. I don't want to have to worry about like, oh, I got to pull up my planer to plans board real quick. Right. I just want to walk over there and do it. Uh, so I'm not really the best person to ask this, but I think a lot of the stuff you can get by with some kind of like, you know, carts that can, you can roll around and park. Uh, how like if you have a bunch of carts that are the same size, the same height, or they have like the same kind of like footprint, you can like have them all roll up against the wall and you can pull them out as you need them. Um, those flip top table bench things, but I don't know. Who popularized them but i know brad rodriguez yeah, brad's got a really popular one he's got a popular one now we have two tools in the same thing i've also seen like the lazy susan style ones where it's like five different tools on one like spinning top thing mm-hmm. so like there's a lot of ways to pack a lot of these bench top type tools in the same kind of space uh the nice thing about bench top type tools too is they're light so you can mount them in all these weird ways you can pick them up set them up when you need to but Really just for me, my only advice is like, think about what you want to do out there and the things you want to do the most often and leave those ones set up as much as possible. So you don't have to put any kind of effort into getting going and getting started. Cool. Yeah. What you said. Yeah. Or you can have like really light tools that you can hold in your hand and, you know, pull them off the wall and put them back when you're done. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think he wants to hear from me because my answer is totally different. <laughs> <laughs> And I, um, I, I'm ashamed to admit I spaced out. What was the climate control question? I heard something about giving a snowman a middle finger, <laughs> something like that. Basically, the question is like, how do you, how do you do it, or like, where do you draw the line of is it worth it? I guess. Which uh, another one where I'm kind of I have a bad answer to that is, I just in the winter I have the heater on a thermostat, and it's the same temperature in the shop all the time. Yeah. Um, as far as summer goes, I think it's a little more unique. My shop is not air conditioned but it gets ridiculously humid in there for whatever reason. Uh, so I do have a dehumidifier that I run in the shop, which helps to keep the moisture content of the wood like somewhat more normal, but it also makes the work environment much more pleasant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if the shop is 85 degrees and 60 to 70% humidity, that's a lot more uncomfortable than 85 degrees and 30% humidity. Sure. And the, yes, the dehumidifier will raise the temperature because that is a heat source just like all your motors are and all your tools. So mm-hmm. if you're out there running your tools, they're creating heat anyway. So keep that in mind, I guess. Sure. You know, I was, uh, just got me thinking about my mini split that I installed last year. I yeah. finally, I've had it running long enough that it was able to do a little bit of like comparative analysis to the electric bill. And it's very interesting because I can compare a year where I simply had the heat, um, electrical heaters that are just like the, the, Gas guzzlers of electricity. <laughs> I, know, I know I know it's not gas. You know what I mean, though. Uh, very, very greedy heaters. And compared that to what I've been doing lately with the addition of an employee. So we're spending, number one, a lot more time in the shop. And there's two people in there, so I want it to be comfortable for, for both of us, uh, which means my shop with the mini split has been at a constant temperature. I mean, I kind of let it drop a few degrees at night, but I leave it on. It just kind of runs the whole time. 
So we're talking about constantly comfortable. The temperature is always perfect and comparing that level of efficiency to using the electric heaters, which were just as needed. And I would not let them go overnight. And if I come in the shop in the morning, I turn them on and I compared those two. And it actually was about a wash in terms of the pricing um, as much as I could figure it out. Cause obviously there's other things going into the electric bill. Uh, but we're in there more often. The temperature is consistent, constant, always comfortable. It's very quiet compared to, you know, spurts. And you know how it is, Matt, with the forced air mm-hmm. heater. Uh, when that thing turns on, you can't, yeah, you can't film, you can't <laughs> record anything. So everything has to stop or you have to turn the heater off. So it's very inconsistently heating, but it was costing me about the same to do a much more poor job of keeping that space climate controlled. <laughs> so I don't know if, if it's in you know the budget or with his shop. I mean, consider the mini split. Even in a cold area, there are certain ones that can operate down below zero. Did he, did he say his shop was already insulated? I was, that's I where I'm going. Garage, right? That's where I'm that's thinking. A, that's a huge factor. Insulation, right. yeah. because that's, that's actually the first thing to think about. Yeah, because that that was the biggest change. And I still have just the, you know, the little almost like desk space heaters. And Mm -hmm. it's still comfortable in here because the shop is well insulated, because I replaced my garage door with a high R factor. Is that high or low R factor? High, High, right? Yeah. (laughs) Decibel goes the other way, doesn't it? I don't know. Mo is better. Yeah. But I've got a really, really well insulated garage door and I can, same thing in the uh, summer, while I have a, a wall AC unit, I'll turn it on and yeah, I can't do any recording early while it's running, but 10, 15 minutes in my small shop and the, the, it's comfortable. And then I can turn it off and I'm good for hours on end uh, without it really uh, getting noticeably. And then I'll suddenly go, oh, it's gotten warm in here and I'll turn the air back on. But that's, to me, I think was the best thing it was less about finding a heating or cooling unit and insulating the shop better. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you don't insulate, everything you do for climate control is pretty much throwing money out the window. <laughs> right. I mean, well, it's, I mean, it's an uphill battle. If that's your hobby, cool. If you like throwing money out the window. Yeah. Just anyway. tell people so they can stand outside your window. <laughs> <laughs> trying to catch it. Oh, that's good. All right, Matt, you want to grab uh, Dan's question here? Oh, yes. Let me find it. Uh, Dan? Okay. One of my first major projects was my bench made from red oak. It was actually dunnage from a job site. I milled the wood myself, both with a benchtop planer, jointer, and hand planes. Super proud of the hand tool aspect. Shannon's proud of you. Mm-hmm. Mortise intended all the joints, made two shelves, two Veritas vices. Now for the issue, my tabletop, which I spend mad time flattening both of the router and hand planes, it cupped. Ah! ah! After I drilled the holdfast holes. So the question is, is there a way I could possibly fix slash fix flex to regain some flattens back? I know the tabletop's not as thick as I wanted due to milling and lack of quality on some of the lumber, which I did not use. The thickness runs about two and a half inches thick. You want to try and flex that bad boy? Flex it, baby. Clamp clamp it out. How how much, uh, how how big of a beam you going to punt right there? I guess <laughs> big giant steel beam. Uh, I, I think you could, you could probably flex some of it out. I don't know how much you really want to do that because in theory, like if you flex it out, that top has got stress in it the whole time. Right. Yeah. I don't you know could, how that's gonna. You could actually make the whole term. bench rock because the substructure might then flex, and then now yeah. the bench won't set stable. 
So the problem is I don't, he doesn't say anything about how much it's cupped. Because right. when you're talking to woodworkers, you really need to know what they're what they're considering cupped. You got some people who have a feeler gauge out, and it's ten thousandths low in the middle, and then you've got someone who's like, "Well, it's actually it's about a quarter inch." You know, it's like, okay, well, that's there's a big difference there. So, well, how much of a cup and, is he really? And dealing this is with? an area that I think is way overthought about and overstated. Workbench flatness. Mm-hmm. I personally don't think they have to be all that flat. Really, don't they have to be? You think about the area that you work in on a workbench. And with most of our projects, most of the work we're doing is in a pretty small area right on the front edge of the bench where you stand. And Mm -hmm. if it is cupped and it's an even cup and it's like cup, you know, where the the apex of that curve is right in the middle of the bench, may not matter. Um, But yeah, it depends on how much. And and So, you know, coming from the hand tool guy, that means something. I say this all the time but I don't do that much that truly needs the bench to be flat to reference yeah. off of it. Yeah. And but I, I still use my bench as a reference surface all the time when I'm milling. Yeah. And I still say it doesn't have to be that flat. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've, I have not flattened my Rubo uh, since I flattened it initially. And just out of curiosity, I have taken a straight edge across there and I'm like, Oh, look at that. <laughs> it actually, you know, has cupped the, the center where the split is, is a low point and the outside edges are a high point. But if I, if I didn't do that, if I didn't put that straight edge there, I would have never known, you know? So, I mean, I guess unless it's absolutely severe and he does a certain type of work that requires dead flatness, yeah, he probably not even something he needs to worry about. So I think we talked about this in the past, but mine's like really screwed up now. Cause I, when I built mine, I didn't level it and then I did the epoxy pores on it. So now it's leveled. So my bench is twisted. No, okay. it's like I had to level it because one corner is low in the shop on the floor. Mm-hmm. And when I built it, I referenced off the floor. It was flat, but, you know, sloped. Right. So now I, I put a shim under one leg, twisted the heck out of this thing. And guess what? I can still make stuff on it. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> it still works. It still works. <laughs> yeah. That I, is I one mean, of the, the. It's already uh, two and a half inches thick, which is still pretty thick. I mean, if it's mm-hmm. dramatically cupped, you could still plane it flat. Whether you use a router sled or a hand plane, I don't think you're going to lose that much material. And if you are, then it's really cupped, in which case you probably could do a mixture of flexing it out um, and planing, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Like Mark I mean, said, it, it all depends on how much it's cupped. And is it totally ridiculous to think about kerfing on something like a workbench top if it's really frustrating you? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Is that, is, that a stu- <laughs> is that a really stupid idea? <sighs> I don't I just don't know that it's necessary. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's what it comes back to. Yeah. I mean, mm. you, you could, uh, I mean, no, no, I don't think it is. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> I'm just gonna, no, I'm not going to waffle. No, I don't think it's necessary. Okay. And just, just for, just for people listening, curfing would be. Well, why don't you tell them? I thought I'd let you, I was going to set you up for it. Uh, I don't eh, need whatever. to. I, I don't feel make, like talking. Making saw cuts on the underside <laughs> to weaken it, so it flexes yeah. a little bit easier. Well, and then sometimes they put like a, I don't know, some like a, a steel tube or something in it, yeah, to kind of make it say I'm I'm really I'm gonna stay flat now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well we just uh, we probably didn't help Dan at all, but um, I think it's time to move the work back. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Dan. Sorry about that. Oh wait, yeah, we got another Dan. Maybe it's the same, Dan. I don't know. One was an email. Uh, This is from Dan on a question about an outdoor workbench. 
Hey, what's up, guys? This is Dan from Peoria, Illinois. Uh, just a little kickback for you from episode 466. Um, a guy asked a question about a uh, movable outdoor workbench, and I think that a great solution could perhaps be the Roman workbench that uh, Chris Schwarz recently made, well, sort of recently made, and outlined in his book, Ingenious Mechanics. Uh, and I would be, I've been curious about the design myself, and so I'd be interested to hear what um, sort of feedback you guys have either on the design or uh, just how it works. But it would be certainly a pretty good movable option uh, from what I've seen. So hope that helps uh, whoever the guy was. And we'll talk to you later. Thanks for not quitting, and thanks, uh, Rockler, for supporting everything. Bye. Go Rockler! All right, so you don't need to get the book uh, to see this. I'll we'll put put in the show notes a link to the Woodwright Shop episode I was talking about before that uh, Schwartz talks about this bench. Uh, it kind of looks like a um, imagine a staked bench. It's a slab yeah. with sticks stuck in the bottom. There you go. It looks like a it looks like a sitting bench <laughs> and not a workbench. Uh, quite honestly. <laughs> yeah it's um, interesting i mean do either one of you love this thing i've worked on them before um yeah i mean yeah they're they're great i mean it's it's just a, a really stable slap and you find more mm-hmm. often than not you're actually sitting on it so like the work you're the boards you're working on you might be sitting on part of it you really don't need a bunch of other fancy clampy thingies um, all over it. You just need a stable surface, a surface that's not going to really move around on you while you work. Basically a Rubo workbench, (laughs) big, heavy slab, you know, in this case, no vices, just, just, you know, the basics of work holding. Yeah. This is just a lighter slab and generally lower as well. I believe they're all quite a bit lower than the, what we would call a workbench today. And it could double as a sitting bench. You got that going for you too. All right. Yeah. Uh, I think they got this last kickback here, Shannon. And yeah, we talked about um, hand resawing. Chris had had a problem with the board cupping, and um, he actually wrote back in. He said that I, because my advice was make sure you're flipping the the board side to side. So he did say mm-hmm. that I was actually flipping side to side, and the cut did track the line on both edges of the board. The cut cupped across the width of the board, however. So um, again, he says I'm not sure if that really clarified the issue too much, but the sounds to me we're talking about a wood movement issue um so the same thing that happens and the reason that we have splitters on table saws when you make that rip cut and the board starts to close up on you in the back half of the cut because of just whether it be moisture or just internal tension in the board this can very easily happen while you're resawing in fact i would expect it to happen while you're resawing because you are sawing right through the gooey cream filled center of that twinkie and it's releasing moisture like crazy. So certainly it's going to close up, but there's also a heck of a lot of tension inside, especially a thicker board. You're dealing with more, a larger fraction of a tree at this point. Think of it that way. So there's all kinds of tension just bound into those fibers. And as you saw across those fibers, you're releasing that tension. And that's what those immediate reactions, unless you're talking about case hardened wood or whatever, the immediate reactions that make a splitter necessary on a table saw is more of tension adjustment than necessarily a wood moisture thing. Certainly when you resaw like an hour, two hours, five minutes later, you're going to see moisture reactions. Um, so what I would recommend or not really recommend 
this is one of those things you just kind of have to deal with while you're resawing. Mm-hmm. You can take um, a, a wedge and tap it into the top of the kerf to kind of hold the thing open. And it will also prevent some of that cupping happening across the width of the blade. Um, but yeah, if you're tracking both sides of it and you're just worried that you're creating a bow because the board is actually cupping around you, it's probably going to happen. You also may be resawing a board that is already kind of thin. So if you're resawing, you know, a wide four quarter board, it's going to be much more prone to do that because there's not as much beam strength than the two remaining halves. Whereas if you're resawing a 12 quarter board, the parts on either side of the blade are still quite thick and they're going to hold up pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then okay. just to kind of two birds with one stone, Todd had asked that on related to this question, he said he was really interested in trying this. Who were some of the manufacturers and makers of resaw frame stuff? So there's Blackburn Toolworks right now that's um, making 36 and 48 inch blades as well as the hardware kits. Provide your own wood. You make the frame and they provide the hardware and the blades. And then there's Bad Axe Toolworks that is making a smaller, I think it's 22 inch blade with a five points per inch blade. That's a great resaw as well, but really meant for boards that are maybe at most six to eight inches. So if you're looking to do resawing for like resawing like uh, cool uh, veneers for drawer fronts or things like that, smaller boards, that Bad X kit can work really well. If you're looking to do wider case side type stuff, I would recommend going with the Blackburn Toolworks blade. It's And as far as I know, those are the only manufacturers out there. You can make them yourself. There's no doubt. You can buy spring steel, file in your own teeth. I did that. It sucks. <laughs> I wouldn't rather. And and the blade that really? I have. On my I didn't resaw, expect that. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. You will go through a file, like three files and cutting those teeth in. It's just absolutely oh, awful. So the blade that I have in my saw right now is made by Blackburn Toolworks. It was the very first one that Isaac made. And he, I think, first thought I was crazy. And then now he's selling them because lots of people started buying them. So I'm a big fan of Blackburn Toolworks for that purpose. Hmm. All right. Okay. Well, listen, in the interest of equal opportunity, I know we talked about boy bands, but I want to submit one name for a girl band. It's going to be called the Slice Burls. Oh, guys, oh, come on. Wow. <laughs> they just keep getting worse. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. So I think that's going to do it for us today. Remember that we are proudly sponsored by Rockler. Rockler is a family-owned business since 1954. They're your go-to source for high-quality and innovative woodworking tools, finished supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or a new set of kitchen cabinets, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success. Visit rockler.com, use the code WOODTALK, and receive free shipping on most orders over 39 bucks. That's great. If you want to give us your boy band name, Send it. Go to woodtalkshow.com, <laughs> fill out the form, and send us your woodworking boy or girl band name or boy and be girl than band mine. name. Um, also, send it to us on Instagram. You can find us there at woodtalkshow. Um, you can write out, you know, the first song, the lyrics, and sing it for us. Record that in a voice memo and send that to woodtalkshow at gmail.com. Extra points for that one. 
Um, We will play that one for sure. We will absolutely play that one. You can find us individually on Instagram as well. Matt Cremona, Wood Whisperer, and Renaissance Woodworker. And really, I mean, there is no other social call to action than we need boy band names. So if if you're going to use Instagram, (laughs) take any old picture and include a boy band name. If you have Photoshop skills, you know who you are, folks. People are going to be like, what is this person doing? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, seriously. No one's going to understand. Take a picture of work holding, but include a boy band name. Don't just send us a picture of work holding. We got to have a boy band name with it. And if you have those Photoshop skills and you want to use our likenesses in a boy band, I'm sure someone is already doing it as they're listening to this right now. So I might as well encourage it. We haven't had a new good Photoshop in a while. So anyone who wants to do that, that'd be great. So hashtag Woodtop 471 boy band names. There you go. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And we will catch you next time. Bye bye. Bye, bye, bye. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good, man. Nice job.